All right. This is Commissioner Sam Cho calling to the port, uh, calling to order the Port of Seattle Audit Committee special meeting. Today is Thursday, December eighth, twenty twenty-two, uh, and the time is two thirty-eight p.m. We are meeting today at the Port of Seattle headquarters, Commission Chambers, and virtually via Microsoft Teams platform. Present with me today are committee members Commissioner Hamni Mohammed and Public Member Sarah Holstrom. To make this meeting more accessible to the public, the meeting is being live streamed and digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website. A call in number uh, is also provided for anyone who would like to listen into the meeting. Our first item of business is approval of our last meeting minutes from September 8, 2022. As a reminder to the viewing audience, the member of the, uh, the, member of the public of the audit committee is not a voting member uh, for the purposes of casting a vote on motions made per the committee rules. Are there any corrections to the minutes? No. Seeing none, are there any objections to the approval of the minutes as presented? No. Hearing none, the minutes are approved. Our next order of business is the 2022 <laughs> Audit Engagement Service Plan. Mr. Fernandez, please introduce our speakers today. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, commissioners, today we have uh, Olga uh, Darlington and uh, Anna Waldron from Moss Adams. Uh, it's an entrance meeting for the financial statement audit for the board. Olga, the floor is yours. Nana. Thank you, Glenn. Good afternoon, members of the audit committee. Um, we have a short presentation. Um, we'll kick it off with we are starting, we have started our planning for a 2022 audit. Um, is there a clicker? Oh, uh, should I just sorry. request? Okay. We can move on to the next slide <laughs> actually to the next one would be perfect yes um, we have started the planning process and performed some interim procedures for the audit um, the first slide is um, the leadership team for the audit um, myself as well as the concurrent reviewer who is a QC partner on the engagement um, of course Anna and Connor McCauley who is online um, today that are uh, my right hand and left hand if I if I would if I will um, the team um, that's um, supporting the rest of our team that performs the audit procedures and then we have IT personnel as well as part of our audit team to assess the IT systems uh, for financial reporting um, like I said this is just the leadership team there is uh, more people involved with the audit and of course not pictured here are very important t uh, team members are our small um, business firms that we partner with to um, help us with the audit we have three um, firms this year that we work with um, a small business firm of Branch Richardson Company and two uh, women-owned uh, minority firms, um, um, Ryland Consulting and Humbition um, Consulting. So, Next slide summarizes the services that we are providing for the Port of Seattle. This is all um, related to the financial statements audit for the year ended 22 December 31st 22 it includes the enterprise fund um, so the port of Seattle itself as well as the fiduciary fund which is our husband's pension fund in addition we perform compliance audit one it's called a single audit under uniform grant guidance and that relates to the federal funding that the port receives as well as the passenger facility charge program specific audit required by uh, the federal aviation administration 
There's additional information that will be included in the annual report that we don't necessarily opine on, but it is required by the Government Tell Accounting Standards Board, and that information we review in relation to the financial statements, and it will be presented as part of the uh, report as well. There's additional procedures that we perform that are, um, once again, compliance engagements for EPA. Um, there's two agreed-upon procedures engagements that we uh, complete later in the year after the audit is complete. On the next slide, we have um, our responsibilities as the auditors to be independent um, of um, our clients, and we are independent of the Port of Seattle. Um, to perform the audit in accordance with government auditing standards, which of course um, assumes or requires us to evaluate internal controls as they relate to financial reporting. So we'll be um, performing the internal controls audit as well. Um, it does require us to communicate with um, those charged with governance or with the audit committee in case we find any issues of noncompliance, fraud, or misappropriation of assets. And generally, we are required to communicate with the audit committee at the beginning of the audit and at the completion of the audit. However, if anything arises in the process of the audit as we're completing our procedures, we'll bring those issues to you immediately. On the next slide is um, that timeline that I just mentioned. What we are required to communicate in the entrance conference is our audit plan um, as we prepare for the audit. Um, and Anna will cover those in the next slides. Next slide, please. Great. So in addition to our responsibilities as the auditor, we just did just also want to highlight for the committee our expectations for management, uh, which is that they'll come prepared with complete and accurate financial statements, that they've established um, effective internal controls, that they're in compliance with all laws and regulations, that they would bring to our attention any suspected or actual fraud that comes to their attention that they'll make available any underlying schedules or audit support that's requested as part of our engagement, and then that they'll sign a management representation letter at the completion of the audit, essentially asserting these responsibilities that they have. And next slide, please. And as Olga touched on, um, our responsibilities as the auditor is to obtain reasonable rather than absolute assurance that the financial statements are free from material misstatement, whether that be due to fraud or error. And while the purpose of our audit isn't necessarily to identify fraud, we do perform a number of procedures to identify any specific fraud risks that are affecting the organization so that we increase our likelihood that we would identify a material misstatement that's due to fraud as part of our financial statement audit. And so to identify those um, potential fraud risk areas as part of our planning, we do hold uh, fraud brainstorms with our full engagement team, including our IT personnel. We also have inquiries with the Port of Seattle management team, um, both executive and accounting groups. And then we also document our understanding of the internal controls that are present at the Port of Seattle so that we can better identify any areas of weakness or any potential segregation of duties issues. And then as part of um, our actual procedures that we perform, we do do some targeted testing over journal entries, including you know, obtaining the backup for any um, unusual or non-traditional transactions. We also um, identify areas of sensitive management estimation and um, drill into that to make sure that we're not seeing any uh, potential management bias in those estimates. 
And then uh, revenue recognition is also considered an inherent fraud risk, and so we are spending time on the Port of Seattle's policies for accounting for revenue recognition across their various revenue streams. Next slide, please. And then here we just wanted to highlight some of the kind of more significant areas of our audit, although we do do a pretty comprehensive procedures. Um, so we started our interim testing procedures in October, and that was really focused on internal control testing over some key uh, cycles. Those would be like financial close and reporting, certainly controls over cash receipts and cash disbursements, payroll, um, project monitoring and construction project cost additions, and then revenue recognition as well. And then just given the large volume and overall dollar value of the construction activity at the airport, capital assets and construction in progress is um, a big focus of our audit. In addition to just testing invoices and payments for those projects, we do also spend time um, meeting with the project managers for each of our selected projects just to better understand the nature of the project activity for the year and then also their process for monitoring costs. Uh, revenue recognition, as I mentioned, is an inherent risk and always a focus for our audit. Um, one of our more significant procedures for revenue recognition is actually confirming the landing fee revenue that's recognized for the year directly with the largest airline customers of the airport. And then uh, kind of a hot topic for this year would be GASB 87 implementation, which I'm sure you guys are aware of. So this is the new leasing accounting standard that's effective for the port at the beginning of fiscal year 2022. And that will actually be retrospectively applied to all of the periods that are presented in the financial statements this year. So that's back to January 1st, 2020. And Olga will talk a little bit more about what's involved in the implementation just in a couple of slides. And then the last thing I just wanted to call out for you here is that, as Olga mentioned, we do perform a single audit over the port's compliance with um, the uniform grant guidance for the federal grant awards that were expended during the year. And based on those uh, interim testing procedures that we've done so far, we did identify one major program, which is the, probably sounds familiar, the Airport Improvement Program. It's been a major program for the last couple of years. Next slide, please. And then just wanted to give you a snapshot of our audit timeline, very consistent with the last couple of years. So we did kick off a planning meeting discussions with management in September. Even before that, we've been talking and working with them regarding the GASB 87 implementation. That's sort of been a, a full year effort on both sides. In October, as I mentioned, we did do our interim fieldwork procedures. That was focused primarily on testing the port's internal controls and then also testing some transactions under that AIP program for the single audit. Um, and then our IT audit team did kick off procedures at the same time as us, um, and they'll be wrapping up their testing in January. They focus on IT general controls for the Port of Seattle, as well as testing those systems that are um, most essential in financial reporting for the port. We'll do our final field work at the start of March that runs through the end of April, which time we'll issue our uh, finalized auditor reports. We also present the results of our audit to the executive team at that time, and then we'll present similar information to the audit committee in May once we've completed. And then as Olga mentioned, we do do just uh, two agreed upon procedures for the port, which are required by the EPA and the Department of Ecology. 
And on the next slide, um, we do have a summary of um, accounting standards that are effective for this year or upcoming in the next couple of years. As you see, there is a good list. Um, most of them are rather complex, um, as, as all GASB standards are becoming more and more complex. But um, this year, so the GASB 87 on leases for most of our clients that are airports or seaports have had a significant impact um, as a lessor because of all the properties that are owned by the port and being leased. Um, so anywhere between a um, couple hundred million to a billion dollars is where I've seen the impact of that uh, implementation to be. And it's a primarily a balance sheet um, impact was a lease receivable and a deferred inflow of resources um, being recorded and just that revenue recognition becomes a little bit different as opposed to historic way that the, the revenue was recognized based on billings. Now it would be recognized based on the timing of um, the terms of the agreement and discounted to present value. The port management team has started working on implement implementation of the standard um, more than two years ago, it's been a very long time on different components of it because it is it is very complex as far as some of the assumptions that are involved in uh, implementations or just scoping of the number of agreements that the port has that would be in scope or could be excluded from the scope of that um, standard. So there, are, um, we have started preliminary testing uh, of the, some of the information that we were provided and we'll continue to work through that uh, through our final field work. Um, so that's the focus. Uh, one of the bigger things that will be impacting the audit, it will change the look of the financial statements in terms of increasing the balance sheet and some of the numbers uh, quite significantly, as well as adding a few more pages to the footnotes. Um, so um, the remaining standards or the remaining standards that are listed on this list are going to be primarily impacted for the following periods, um, but will have similar complexities within them. And the port management team has, um, the accounting and finance team has always been very proactive and in looking into those upcoming standards and trying to identify the impact and um, trying to figure out how to implement that. So we are, um, particularly this year, we stayed in very, very closely in touch throughout the year and just discussing different components of the leasing standard and the impact that it will have on the financials. So we'll continue to work with port management team on that. And that, I believe, concludes our presentation. Excellent. Thank you so much to the Moss Adams team for the presentation. Uh, are there any questions from our committee for the member at this time? Excellent. That's how you know you did a good job. <laughs> if there are no additional questions for the audit team or Mr. Fernandez on this item, we'll move on to the next topic. Thank you. Yeah. Item number four on the agenda is internal outreach project update. Glenn, please proceed with the update. Michelle, if you could pull up. Thanks. As we wait for Michelle, she's about to pull up the deck okay. uh, for the presentation for this item. Sorry. There we go. Next slide, please, Michelle. It's not in order, right? Yes, we move. But I'm, I'm going to try to give you cues when I end these sections, so you know when we jump from one agenda item to the next. Um, the first item, the outreach project. Commissioner Mohammed, at our last audit committee meeting, you had asked us to um, design a method to help auditees understand what to expect from an audit. So. 
I wanted to provide a little chart as to where we are on that project and what we've done. But in a nutshell, you know, we've created a project plan, we've updated our website, we've created a lot of resources on our external facing website. Uh, for instance, links to professional organizations and things that they might want, um, best practices, best standards. So when you go to our website now, you'll see a host of more information in the internal audit website saying, if you have questions about cybersecurity, click here and it'll give you a lot more information about it and how to protect yourself and uh, things to do. We've also uh, put up our peer reviews and uh, some other information out there that might be useful to audit clients. And then that, that's all completed. The next phase, which we're going to be working on in the first quarter, is creating internal materials and programs and brochures where we can do outreach. And if they want to come in, an auditee, a small business, and ask about controls, we can spend time with them talking about what to expect from an audit and how to protect themselves and have good internal controls. To, for instance, you know, the, the payment card, the ACH fraud. How do you prevent um, a small business to not, you know, teach them not to click on a link uh, that might compromise their systems and then, uh, you know, create subsequent problems for the port. So this is a essential timeline as to what we've done and what we need to do on this slide. It's just a quick overview, and that concludes item four, commissioners. So. Excellent. Thank you, Glenn. Um, are there any questions for from our committee members? Commissioner Mohammed? No questions, but I just want to commend you and your whole team for hearing me on that. Um, it is really important for our community-based organizations to have the tools that they need to make sure that they're protecting their systems and that they are being as transparent and accountable to public funds, and you can't really do that without having a strong understanding of how these systems work and so I'm just really grateful and appreciative of you all uh, taking this on and providing us with um, a thorough update. Appreciate Thank you. It. Thanks to the team that did the work. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. All right, moving on. Item number five on the agenda is the 2022 audit plan update. Glenn, please proceed. Thank you, commissioners. This slide essentially, all the green you see shows uh, a Gantt chart of our work and in a nutshell we've completed our plan for uh, 2022 lists the audits and the timeline as to when we completed them. There was one payroll controls, one in red that we moved to 2023 at management's request because they felt overwhelmed. We did pick up a different audit, ACH fraud, that uh, we picked up and did earlier in the year. So. Net, you know, the plan number of audits that we had committed to doing, we completed. Next slide, please, Michelle. You know, in, in summary, there were 17 audit reports that were completed in 2022. Uh, four of them were capital, four of them were IT, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, four performance, four were capital. Uh, there were six IT and then contract compliance, limited contract compliance. These are the concessionaires at the airport that, um, you know, give us a percentage of their revenue and, and we try to cycle through them and, and uh, make sure that what they're giving us is the right amount. You know, we look at it two ways. One, are they paying us too much um, or are they paying us the right amount? And, you know, since it is a complex calculation, we make sure that we're fair to everyone doing the right thing there. Um, we also 
you know, a couple other items I want to highlight. We also, uh, on the second bullet, had HBM come in and help us in the International Arrivals Facility audit, and they'll talk about that later on today in a little more detail, and the eight issues that they identified. We adapted our audit plan very quickly when ACH fraud occurred earlier in the year and uh, put resources where they needed to be to make sure that uh, those holes were plugged and uh, controls were put in place. And then, um, you know, besides just doing audits, sometimes we, we adapt, we'll do other things, we'll pick up audit-related items. And at the bottom here, you know, we, we had a lot of grants because of COVID. So we made sure we looked at the grants and make sh made sure we were spending that money as required by federal government. We um, are doing a lot of GCCM audit, uh, construction projects now, and the port has shifted in that manner where, you know, instead of the traditional design, bid, build, you've got these more complicated GCCM, general con contractor, construction manager type projects. And the the legislature in the state of Washington requires a different oversight over those. So those need an independent audit and those need um, certain visibility because of complexity. So uh, we adapted and we've kind of integrated those into our process as well. And then um, Cruise Terminals of America needed um, some certification because of COVID that their revenues had significantly shrunk to a material amount that uh, allowed them to get some waivers in their rent. So we did that work as well. That's done in the side. Next slide, Michelle. You know, just to highlight some of the things we do on recoveries, commissioners, when we do do audits, we do identify issues from time to time, and, and uh, we have suggested recoveries. In 2022, you know, in the rental car front, it was relatively small, but it is 11, you know, uh, $11,000 that we did get back. 2021, we identified a little higher numbers, um, yeah, just because of the nature of the audits that we were doing. But on the capital front in 2022, as you can see, you know, re re suggested recoveries um, that are quite significant, primarily because of the IAF, or International Arrivals Facility, um, and the liquidated damages and some of the other things that Jake and team will, from HBM will talk about today. You know, the North Satellite Renovation Expansion Project, the million dollars you see there, again, that was an independent auditor as required by the RCW, and, and those are some cost savings that they identified. So there's a lot of money being, you know, that, that is recovered. Um, next slide, please, Michelle. And then we also have controllable cost overruns where you know, we're not going to get the money back, but in, in some cases we're not going to get the money back. In some cases we are. But um, what we try to do is say, well, you know, these are improvement opportunities that we can take forward into the next year, into next project. You know, and if you apply these, you should be able to save money and not, you know, these are wasted funds otherwise. I will point out that in uh, North Satellite Renovation Expansion Project, the million dollars there, that RL Towns had identified, they caught that early enough in the process, so changes were made, and those losses were not incurred. So that that was you know a million dollars in cost savings. So our value proposition, uh, and uh, I believe this concludes our overview of our 2022 audit plan. So Commissioner Cho, back to you to close out. Any item questions? Five. Thank you, Glenn.
Yes, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for that presentation. Um, I just had a quick question um, around the federal grants. Uh -huh. um, so I know we've done our internal audits of, of, with those auditing those grants that we received. Do we expect the federal government to also do their own audit, or what's the expectation? Yeah, there? you know the FAA. The 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 funds come through the FAA, and and the FAA controls a lot of that. So they're continuously looking at us and mm -hmm. partnering with us to make sure that you know there's a lot of money. Um, so so they're continuously partnering with us and making sure that those funds are spent appropriately. We made sure you know we looked at. Uh, the controls and the processes we have in place. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that again if, if we have time at the end, but to make sure that, the, that people were aware of all the federal requirements and that we had controls and processes in place to make sure those funds were spent appropriately. You know, it's just because of the rate of change. Uh, a couple of years ago, the, a lot of this didn't exist. We didn't have the CARES grant. We didn't have, you know, the, the COVID funding. And all this money came in. We have to pass it through to concessionaires and do the right thing. And there are many, many, many different rules and requirements. So, you know, if, if, for instance, if you get a PPP loan, you're not eligible for something else. Mm -hmm. um, so all of those controls needed to be put in place. And, you know, so we looked at it from that perspective. And, and hopefully that answers. That does answer my question. Yeah, because a lot of the times the way I understood it is that um, their rules and guidance are not always clear, and so if those controls are not really strong in the end when you think you're going to get the money back and there's like reimbursements in some cases, it becomes a challenge for, you know, whoever the, the, the grantee is, and in this case, it'd be the port. So that's why I was asking yeah, yeah, that yeah. and wondering. There, there's, there's still some gray areas, but the port does have you know, close enough working relationship with the FAA and the, because we're so tied into them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's still a few things that need to be answered, but for the most part, um, everything is being handled. And I believe Rudy Kalusa has his hand up and would like to comment on that as well. So, <laughs> God, Rudy. Thank you, Mr. Chair, for recognizing me. Oh, okay, there we are. Uh, so I, I want to make sure that uh, Commissioner Mohammed receives also a complete answer. It always <clears throat> requires tag teaming, and, and Glenn provides a very comprehensive picture. The other area and the um, Moss Adams Entrance Conference, the emphasis of the single audit, and there is federal uh, regulatory compliance audits uh, performed by external auditors as well on the major grants, such as the airport improvement program. So there is comprehensive uh, review on the part of the federal grantor agencies, FAA, as well as our valued internal audit team at the port, as well as our external auditors, our CPA for Moss Adams. Thank you. I'm sorry, I didn't identify myself. I'm Rudy Caluza, accounting director for the Seattle. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thanks, Rudy. Any other questions? That concludes my questions. No, um, just a quick question. I want to go back to the recoveries page and ask about the Hertz and Avis budget. Is this, is the $11,000 here that um, the, the overcharging that the, the car companies were doing to customers? In, in some cases, yes. Okay. Um, on, you know, primarily in the CFC fee when and, and um, it's the number of days and their calculations within their systems. They're, some were overcharged, some were undercharged. Is, is that a surcharge on the bill, or what exactly is so, that? So there's two fees when you rent a car. There's the concession recovery fee, which is for the facility that we build. So um, in essence, um, it's like a $6 or $7 a day fee for every rental day. 
and um, and then there's a percentage fee based on the percentage of revenue. So, mm -hmm. so uh, those two fees show up in your rental car bill, and uh, from the the seven dollar fee or the six, depending on what the concession fee is, that gets remitted to the port. Right. So, although it's a pass through, it comes to us. So, if a customer is being overcharged, yeah. um, you know, it still comes to the port. They're paying it to us, but we still want to make sure that they accurately calculate that and charge the customers the right amount. But are we? Are we we're not reconciling with the customers who are overcharged, right? We're not like. Well, what we do is we use a tool that looks at 100% of the transactions over that period and we have, working with business intelligence, we calculate uh, what they should have charged all their customers um, and we find some overages and some, un some undercharges and we go back to them and we work with um, the, the ports team, uh, landside team as well to make sure that um, you know, Hertz goes back, or the rental car companies go back and fix their systems. I and see. Charging the customers the correct amount. They usually don't go back and correct bills in the past. Yeah. But they're still liable for that money to the port. But we do, you know, push them to fix it going forward. Okay. And then, in, in the case where there's an overcharge, um, and in the case where we have leases where we take a percentage of revenue, mm -hmm. that obviously affects our percentage of revenue revenue as well. So, do we go back and reconcile that as well? On the revenue. We, we don't go we haven't gone back lately and done a hundred percent recalculations of the revenue okay uh, but uh, we, we use other tools and mechanisms okay just one for my awareness thank you yeah Commissioner Mohammed Commissioner Cho just made me think of um, a, a similar sort of question um, with uh, just hidden fees whether it's car rental do we have controls or policies in place that shed light on some of that. Um, I know the Biden administration just recently introduced an initiative to get rid of um, junk fees, which are like hidden fees, add-on fees, um, that sometimes you see even rental companies doing. And so it made me wonder what sort of like um, tools we have in place to protect customers from those um, unnecessary hidden fees or add-ons that happen sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I'll make a note of it, Commissioner, and get back to you. Uh, we do look at all of the charges that they're allowed to charge um, and make sure that they're paying us revenue in that. But, but as far as hidden fees are shown, uh, or, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go back. And, and, and maybe that's something we can also add into our work going forward. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've kind of gotten to the point where we say, you know, is this really something that you should be charging the customer? Uh, but so, so we'll make a note of going back and looking at that going forward, and um, I'll check in with the team and also get back to you on that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. We're going to go ahead and move on into item number six on the agenda, agenda, which is a request for approval of proposed 2023 internal audit plan. Glenn, please proceed okay. with the presentation on this item, and then I will call for a motion as needed. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, so this slide, when we start our process to um, build, design our audit plan, we start by, you know, doing essentially a risk assessment, talking to folks within the organization, key leaders, 
and understanding what, uh, what are some of the key risks within their areas, what keeps them up at night, what are they seeing, what troubles them. So we start with that. We also created a framework where um, we look at key risks in the industry and we share that with them and say, are these happening in your area? Uh, this slide essentially highlights all the departments that we talk to, the representation, to get an idea of what's happening and what, what are they seeing. Next slide, please, Michelle. And uh, some of the key themes that I'm going to highlight here on this slide are, you know, they're not only affecting us, but they're affecting other organizations across the United States. ProTivity had done a study with um, one of the major universities on the East Coast, and they found um, a, a series of key risks and surprisingly, the same risks occur and exist at the port and probably at other organizations as well. So some of the highlights that we pointed out, human capital, staffing, recruiting, you know, talent management, that seems to be a huge thing, especially in the current environment coming out of COVID and um, staffing up um, as needed, especially for the critical programs. Cybersecurity, huge everywhere and uh, doesn't look like that's going away. For, especially for our construction supply chain and planning that into everything you do seem to be a big issue you know uh, you just have to you don't get things right away anymore you have to plan for it and build that into your schedules and know when it's going to come uh, especially when we embark on these on this huge capital front as um, you know one of the things that came out was uh, as we take on more electricity and electrification of docks, of cars and everything else. We have to make sure we have the infrastructure for that. And a lot of times that's lacking. You know, for instance, Bell Harbor, the garage right here, people talk about getting an electric fleet of port cars and then it's like, okay, well we don't have any chargers over there and we don't have any infrastructure or power, so that needs to be built. Um, and even with electrification of the docks, electrification of the airport, you know, it's, is, is the capacity in the grid there. And then finally, uh, balancing e environmental, social, and financial objectives. Those are all critical for the port, but how do we balance them all out? Um, sometimes, you know, they're conflicting and, uh, and making the best decisions becomes very important. Next slide, please, Michelle. So with that, you know, we used a little bit of uh, our risk universe, we used a little bit of the work that we're doing and, and our audit universe and we talked to management. And based on the resources we have, you know, we carry, carry payroll controls over from last year. We feel it's important to do that because, um, you know, it, it is a critical audit and critical risk area. Um, airport parking garage, we have about a hundred million dollars in revenue that comes through there and uh, con will continue to grow you know, one of the largest parking garages. And, and there's just a lot to look at over there. There's the cash controls. We had an uh, issue with uh, cash theft there a few years ago. Um, so we want to go back and make sure that the controls have been put in place and are operating as effectively over there. Um, the next two, you know, the equity policy directive, and to some extent the social and environmental reporting also, you know, were discussions with uh, our OEDI group on uh, if and when when the equity policy directive is launched and approved by the commission, 
you know, how do we make sure that everyone's complying with it and, and controls are in place to make sure that, uh, you know, that's being followed. And then there's a lot of reporting that comes out related to that and related to the environment. And there's a lot of ad hoc systems that have been put up. How do we make sure that that data is accurate so when it's presented to you um, and, and to the public, is it correct? You know, our financial statements, as you heard earlier, Olga and I'll make sure that those are correct um, in all material respects. But uh, a lot of the side reporting uh, are built on, you know, systems in-house so we want to make sure that these systems and the data being presented is accurate, not uh, you know, is not, not greenwash. Greenwashing is essentially when you make things a little more appealing um, to the readers, and, and it's not really accurate, mit, mit, accurately presented. And then finally, Fisherman's Terminal again, um, you know, the internal controls over cash there. <laughs> um, this was a management request, so that was something that is the revenue being collected correctly and being recorded correctly over there. Some other items, these are contingency audits. We put these on if we do have the resources and the time or something has to drop off at um, my discretion, I can move these up and uh, you know not wait another few weeks to come back to commission and ask for approval. So some items that I've highlighted are is the police evidence room we haven't looked at that you know, the controls over property in the police evidence room make sure um, that everything's um, following policy of their human capital on the recruiting side and uh, banking wire transfer controls which is important we had ACH fraud earlier in the year that was separate from wire fraud uh, and we want to make sure that uh, you know that the controls and the wire transfer are operating effectively. Next slide, Michelle. On the capital projects, um, our capital audits, uh, most of our work here now is mandated by RCW 3910. So we'll spend a lot of time looking at the GCCM audits just because those need to be covered. You know, we will have an external firm partnering with us, RL Townsend and Associates, but nonetheless, will be very involved as well. Um, the other things that are on this slide that highlight some, some key items are currently 49 projects in the works with, uh, you know, 55 million, I'm sorry, that are over 5 million, 49 projects that are over 5 million in spend. So a lot of work out there, a lot of projects, a lot of things going on in the capital front, and it's just going to increase. When uh, we do pick out items, some risk considerations that we have are project size, change orders, contract type, schedule, budget. Uh, so all of these elements go into our project uh, capital project plan approach. Next slide, please, Michelle. So with that, there are... Um, the first two audits, the T5 birth modernization and supply chain disruption are two audits that we've, we've got in our plan that are not G required by the RCW. The rest are. Um, so, uh, you know, we've got a total of six out there that we've highlighted. Um, uh, I will note that all the uh, GCCM projects get audited now. And uh, we've listed a couple contingency audits in case we have the resources uh, or if resources free up or if something has to change. 
and that's Concourse A ex expansion. Uh, TRA is a tenant reimbursement, it's with Delta. And tenant reimbursements are, you know, we're reimbursing Delta for work that they do. We would, in fairness to everyone else, we want to make sure that uh, everything's done correctly there and um, that um, the charges to the port are accurate. And then finally, the parking garage elevator modernization. When, and the, all the elevators are being upgraded, and there's quite a big cost to that also, and we want to make sure that that's happening correctly. Next slide, please, Michelle. I'll move through the last few relatively quickly. And commissioners, I will take questions at the end, but if you have questions, please feel free to stop me. Our information technology audit plan, essentially, um, we look at something called the CIS, Center for In Internet Security, and their key controls. There's 18 controls there, control areas there, and we're trying to cycle through those and make sure that, uh, you know, we, we cover all of those. We're also, uh, you know, we also partner internally with information security to make sure that, um, you know, the ones that we select are the highest risks items. And um, our, our short-term solution is to finish those CIS controls, which we're about 75% of the way through, and then we'll circle back and look at other areas. But uh, right now, we're still focused on the CIS top 18. So next slide, please. So commissioners, uh, we've got uh, four audits that we've highlighted here, email and web browsing protections, network uh, infrastructure management, network infrastructure management for ICT and aviation, and then uh, security awareness skills and training. So we've highlighted those. We do have uh, Bruce Clausal, who's our IT audit manager, retiring next year in the middle of the year. So uh, we've got uh, Ritika, uh, who will be carrying the bulk of this load next year. Uh, and then we'll also be recruiting for uh, filling positions as needed. We do have some contingency audits that we've noted, and you know we do have the ability to do more than four IT audits, but it's a function of uh, the recruiting, filling Bruce's position, and as we, if, if we're successful in that, and staffing up, we'll move some of these contingency audits up and cover more ground there. And then last, the last area, uh, Michelle, is our lease and concession audits. These are concessionaires at the airport. And we do this based on revenue of the concessionaires. So um, we've got a cycle. And um, if, you know, their revenue, if, if they fall in the high category, meaning their revenues are relatively high, we try to look at them every five to seven years. If they're medium, we look at their revenue every 10 years. And if they're low, we look at these them as needed. Um, as you can see, there's, you know, the, the revenues are down a little bit right now because of a lot of the COVID-related issues, and, and it's a look back over the past three years. But, you know, they're, they're picking up in 2022. They're almost back to normal as of right now. So we expect these revenues to just continue to go up and pick up in the next few years. And uh, we've got a series of audits we've picked here based on our approach that I've highlighted here. Next slide, Michelle. 
And uh, so, so we've got Louis Dreyfus that we've selected. We haven't looked at that in a while. And that's a grain silo on, at the end of uh, the park here, you know, where the container ships come in and the trains drop off the grain from eastern Washington. It's one of the most sophisticated, actually, in the world. Uh, but we'll, we've got that on our, um, our uh, schedule. We've got Seattle Air Ventures, which is Hudson. And they've got, it, it, you know, multiple leases. We picked a couple leases. But w within these leases, they've got 13 stores. So it's a lot of ground to cover. Um, there's the Hudson News stores, Hudson stores at the airport. And finally, Doug Fox Travel, um, which is also parking, the, a huge parking lot at the airport. So we've selected that. Um, we've got some contingency audits in case um, you know, we, we do have bandwidth. Uh, Gate Gourmet, which serves food to airlines, or uh, positions they bring the catering onto airplanes for the airline meals for passengers, and uh, Host International, which has a series of stores including Starbucks at the airport. So next slide, please. So in a nutshell, commissioners, we will have, uh, we're proposing 19 audits. And I will highlight uh, a, a couple more than this year. We're also you know, on, on our limited contract compliance audits. Although we show four, we've got a lot of ground to cover with uh, the Hudson stores and uh, how we tackle those 13 stores. So. Rather than count those as single audits, we lump them into one lease, but or two leases, but there's still a lot of ground. So 13 audits here. And um, the next slide, please, Michelle. 13 audits there with Hudson, uh, or sub-audits. Our proposed plan is a summary of what I presented. It's uh, got limited contract compliance audits, performance audits in the center, which include capital, and these are operational audits of business processes and um, performance audits of our capital processes as well. We do break out capital because it's so large over here. And then f last but not least, information technology. And the next slide is a summary of our contingency audits that I talked about that um, if, if we do have resources of bandwidth, we'll move those forward. And Commissioner Cho, that concludes item six, our uh, 2023 proposed audit plan. Excellent. Thank you, Glenn. Are there any questions from our committee members at this time? Yes. Uh, I just want to ask on the capital projects audit plan, you mentioned R.L. Townsend is the company we're working with um, for these GCCM, and that's the direction the port's deciding to go. Do we bid out that work, or and if so, what frequency, or what does that look like? Yes, so we just went out to bid on it, uh, on, and um, we're, we're doing something called an IDIQ, which is indefinite time, indefinite quantity, which means you know, up to um, a certain sum. In this case, it was um, a handful of projects we lumped together, and we said for these, for this body of work uh, up to a cap of $600,000 over a certain period of time. I believe it's five years um, because that's how long some of these projects will take. Uh, for this body of work, um, you know, what uh, we just go through the process. And, and there were, <coughs> I believe, 13 firms that were interested. They are Wimby firm, 
um, and they had the best experience and best price, so uh, they won through a very open contest. Um, we followed all the rules there, so that's how they got that. Does that answer your question? Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Any other questions? Yes, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, my question is around the equity policy directive compliance um, on slide nine. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Cho actually led on the, that policy directive, and I serve on the equity and work workforce development um, committee together. We serve on that committee together, and we've both worked on some of this. I'm wondering, um, does that do you? Are you going to run some of this, the work that you're doing, some of the controls before the policy directive gets introduced? Like, does it come to you guys before we uh, introduce it and it comes before the whole committee? Or is there uh, no. work that you all are doing beforehand? At, at this point, no, we're not doing very much work okay. on it. One of the things, the policy's got to be finalized first. And I think our, my vision or our vision of this in discussion with Bukta Gesar, who's our, Senior Director for OEDI was, um, you know, once once the policy is implemented, um, how do we assure that we have controls in place at that point to meet the requirements of the policy? Now, there's training requirements. There's uh, the port has to do a series of things, and you know, as we launch all of these programs, you know, do. At that point, we look at the infrastructure. Yeah, but at this point, I think it's a little premature, so we haven't done very much work on it. Uh, but, but we do plan to assure and provide guidance to Bukta as to what's working and what we need to do to improve to make sure that, you know, that the entire port is complying with the requirements of the policy. That's great. Yeah, and I'm sure Director Kazar is already probably thinking about this, but <laughs> thinking about the, the infrastructure even um, beforehand before we actually introduce and pass that is helpful to fit kind of uh, to give us as commissioners uh, an idea on how much buffer room we should be giving uh, to uh, for it to go into like full implementation for all departments and so it's yeah. kind of why I was asking that but I'm sure director Gazar is already thinking that if not I'll connect with her as well and Thank and, and one more comment, Director Gaysar also put us in touch, had a group call with a couple other agencies, Port of San Diego, mm -hmm. to talk about what they were doing. So we looked at them for best practices and had a discussion with them as to what controls they'd put in and how they'd done it. And we kind of tied our plan into, you know, what they were doing as well. So you we're all in the line. <laughs> Thank you. That, that concludes my question. Actually, thanks for pointing that out. I, quick, real quickly, um, I wonder if is this in reference to the policy directive that we are forth, that's forthcoming, or the policy motion that we passed two yeah. years ago? It's a policy directive. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. It's not you're not auditing, or yeah, the, the past it, one. It's the the one coming up. That, okay, got it. Okay, All right, thank you for that clarification. Awesome. Well, if there's no further question, is there a motion and a second to approve the proposed 2023 internal audit plan? So moved. Excellent. The motion has been made and I will second it. Uh, is there any objection to the motion? Hearing none, the motion passes. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Glenn. We can move on to no agenda number uh, seven, open issue status update. Commissioners and Ms. Holstrom, I'm going to move through this pretty quickly. You know, one of the things we're required to do is not only have issues and recommendations from our report, but make sure that those are being addressed and closed out in a timely manner. Um, so with this, in every audit committee meeting, we highlight 
we provide a chart as to where issues are, where do they stand. You know, I will note from a very high level we have 34 issues uh, that are outstanding from uh, report date and 30 issues from target date. That's down by eight from the last audit committee meeting, so we are making progress in cleaning a lot of these up and getting them addressed. Um, so we are moving in a positive direction. There's a lot that we'll talk about in non-public session later on today because a lot of these are IT issues. On um, non-IT issues, three items that are sitting out there that are still opened. Um, RE2, the concourse concessions LLC. Essentially this affects many, many, many of our concessionaires and um, they have to, for the RCW, they have to have a certain amount of surety that they leave, that the port retains on, um, on, on, on for these concessionaires when they do business with the port. The commission can override that with a policy and say, okay, instead of a year, you know, we say six months. Now, we're st in many cases, we're not in compliance. RE2 is m many, many, many years old. It's way outdated and it needs to be updated. So our uh, team uh, at the airport needs to come back to commission, either rework the contracts or come back to commission and update RE2. Um, so that's something that's been sitting open for a while, and I know they're working on that, but uh, it's been, been sitting open for a while. Architect A&E, Architectural and Engineering, um, we identified that there were opportunities to improve controls and determine the, that the rates being paid to architects and engineers were fair and reasonable. Um, and the audit concluded that, you know, we hadn't determined at the time what was fair and reasonable and um, we needed to, there was still some work that needed to be done on CPO side when determining, when, when, you know, there's a lot of money and especially with uh, all the construction spend, a large portion of that construction spend is architectural and engineering firms and what you pay them uh, and the methodology by which you pay them needs to be, um, yeah, it, it, it just needs to be fixed, improved, and there needs to be better governance over that. So we've highlighted that and we've kept it open and you know, we are going back to uh, CPO, uh, uh, our central procurement office, and making sure that they address it and they have not yet. So we're back to you to, you know, we'll highlight that going forward. And the information technology audits, we're going to talk about those in non-public session. There's a lot of progress there. There's some issues that are opened, but we are, I, I'm happy to say, we are making progress and they are, are all being issued, uh, addressed. So we'll talk about that later today. And with that, that concludes item seven, Commissioner Cho. Excellent. Thank you so much. Any questions for Glenn on item seven? Seeing none, we can move on to the performance audit session of the agenda. Item number eight before us is a report regarding the International Arrivals Facility. Glenn, please proceed. Commissioners, for this, I'm gonna ask uh, Jake Ortega and um, Valerie Smith from uh, HPM to come up, and Spencer Bright as well, who's our capital audit manager. And uh, Spencer will open and introduce them and talk about the first two slides. Luckily, I'm done talking, so they can do the talking now. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Ms. Holmstrom. Uh, I'm Spencer Bright, the Capital Projects Audit Manager. Uh, with me today is um, Jake Ortego from HPM Partner, 
and um, Valerie Rogers Smith, who is a director from HPM. And they will be going over for um, the current audit results here in, in just a moment. I'd like to go over um, some prior audits um, during the IAF project as a whole. There had been uh, three previous audits. Uh, internal audit in November of 2017, we issued a um, we issued a, a report. In a nutshell, the results of, of that um, sorry um, was we identified some areas on the design build approach um, that could uh, be improved. This resulted in um, could have helped prevent some unexpected costs during the the pre uh, GMP phase. This is the the pre final contract. Um, uh, HPM actually had performed uh, a review in 2018. Um, they were contracted from ACOM, who was uh, a project management firm external of the port, but the port had assist during this project. Some of the results from HPM, overall their, their um, purpose was to kind of review contract language um, before a final GMP was was signed moving forward. Uh, some of the results that um, HPM identified was one area was the clerk uh, construction who was the general contractor. Uh, they were instructed to administer all subcontracts as uh, not to exceed basis which is kind of an actual cost reimbursement type contract, but Clark was administering those subcontracts as a lump sum, which is kind of just a, a set amount. Uh, the risk identified there was that if there was any potential savings from efficiencies or um, process changes, that that money wouldn't roll back to the port. It would, it would the subcontractor would get paid no matter how they did the, uh, the work. Another area identified was on the general, li general liability insurance rate. Um, Clark had charged a stipulated GLI rate of 0.749% instead of the actual uh, cost. HPM requested uh, actual documentation from, from Clark throughout that engagement to find out what the actual percentage uh, should be of, of insurance because the general conditions of that contract said that that's, uh, the port was going to reimburse on actual costs. Uh, HPM did not receive any documentation, so through their knowledge of cross industries of what insurance rates should be, uh, they estimated that the 0.385% was more accurate and um, came up with an estimated cost avoidance of approximately $2 million. At that time, the uh, GMP was in the $500 million range. Another area that... Next slide, please. 
Another area that uh, HPM reported on was a duplicated cost of um, paid time off. This is uh, also known kind of as a labor burden rate or personal multiplier. It's, it's the additional cost that an employer incurs to employ someone beyond their salary. Um, at that time, the uh, multiplier was 35.7%. HPM noticed that um, it included a component of, it, of PTO that also was included in general condition, so it was included kind of what would have been a double dipping, basically. Um, at that time, uh, the HPM estimated that there was going to be an overstatement of general condition labor costs of approximately $720,000 annually. And then the last area from that report uh, was change order and the early work authorization support, supporting, document supporting documentation. Um, uh, Clerk Construction uh, was submitting their documentation in summary format uh, and uh, the, there was a recommendation made that Clark uh, present detailed cost data with um, any change orders or EWA work to, you know, so the port had an ability to analyze and um, review the work in a more timely manner. That's, that's a really important uh, finding because from that early on because as Valerie and Jake will uh, discuss on the current audit, if, if that recommendation was implemented, a bit of what we're going to be re discussing today would not be um, an issue probably. And the last report uh, was another one of what uh, our internal audit reports. This was reviewed post GMP, so the final contract had been approved. Uh, we noticed that the labor multiplier that was 35.7% uh, at that, the original 35.7% had increased to 88.7% on, on the final GMP uh, with a not subject to audit clause. And, and what that means is that um, we weren't, we didn't have the ability to find out what made up that, uh, that labor burden percentage, uh, the, the components, the makeup of it. Uh, in the Seattle region, uh, a multiplier of about 30 to 45 percent is kind of an expected rate. Yeah, I forget that. It's the other way. <laughs> there you go. 30 to 45 percent is more of a uh, expected rate in the Seattle region. Uh, we re reported that, um, determined that approximately 8.2 to $11 million um, 
could have been saved by by utilizing a, a rate within the expected range. We also noted that the um, GM the the GMP the final contract did keep that uh, that 0.749 percent of the of the GLI. Um, that was also a not subject to audit was put in the contract, so we couldn't look at, at what what the actual makeup was. However, uh, the Ports Risk Management Group did look at it before the approval of that contract, so I was able to find out what the components were by looking at how the Risk Management Group looked. Risk management's recommendation, as it removed some of those components, dropped it down to about 0.395%. So very similar to what HPM came up with back in 2017. Uh, and then, so because of that, um, there was an avoidable cost of about $2.8 million because that included that final uh, contract amount. And um, unless there's any questions on the, the results and the prior audits, we can hand it over to Jake and Valerie to, to go over the current audit results. Sure. Do you guys have questions before I, I dive in? Yeah, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, I'd like to suggest we take a quick five-minute recess for a, a bathroom break. Oh, absolutely. If you don't mind. <laughs> sorry Thank about you. that. Yeah. Absolutely. It is uh, 3.43 p.m. We'll reconvene at 3.48 p.m. Thanks, guys. All right, everyone, thank you for obliging. Um, we'll go ahead and go on to talk about uh, the ongoing audit of IAF. Please proceed. Hand it over to Jake and Valerie from HBM. And thank you. Work. All right, I'm Jake Ortego, and you gotta press the button. There you go. <laughs> Valerie Smith. And we're from HPM. Uh, I think in listening to all the comments made prior, prior to right at this moment, it's important to get a few terms right. I think it'll be a little more meaningful for what we're gonna describe. The nature of this contract is, uh, is a design build, and it is with a guaranteed maximum price. You may have heard Spencer say the word GMP. So forgive me if this is academic, it's just important we get the words right. Um, with a GMP style contract, what that means is that uh, the construction manager, Clark in this case, they're billing their actual cost incurred plus a fee and other multipliers for things like insurance. Um, and, and what it means for this exact project is they are billing their actual cost that our subcontract costs make up the bulk of, of the dollars. Uh, and those subcontracts are largely uh, lump sum subcontracts. And then the additional cost would be for their project management time, their field, sort of things like trailers and, and, and whatever it takes to run the project. Think about it as sort of project overhead in the field. Why that's very important is that Clark submitted uh, a volume of information as requested and uh, not only to us as part of the audit but during the course of the project in terms of pay applications and the documentation that they submitted 
after our review, we found that their overage in actual costs incurred was uh, significantly higher than the guaranteed maximum price. And they're not allowed to charge any higher than the guaranteed maximum price. This shapes the way we approach an audit. Um, it, the, the overage was a great enough amount that we determined uh, to, to review some of the smaller item costs like say they're you know some of their that those field costs like trailers and things of, of that nature just was not an effective use of time um, no matter how many dollars we found in mistakes we weren't going to find a volume that would be equal to their overage um, but what we did do is where we really focus our effort is one of the nuances of this contract this particular contract um, is it has a, a group of dollars that are called allowances now most contracts do have an allowance of some sort in this case this contract had uh, a starting allowance, well, allowances and contingencies that equaled approximately 108 million, and then there was some additional change orders that brought it finally to 115 million. The relevance is that the nature of allowances within this style of contract is that if the port or if if the project, to be more specifically, incurs less then the allowance value, it is a reduction to that GMP. If they spend more, it is an increase to the GMP. And the allowance is meant for, for specific, um, the, the best way to put it is known unknowns. We know we'll spend the money, we don't exactly know how we'll spend it or exactly on what. Um, so given the nature of how this project was executed, that was a decision made a long time ago. As a result, as we reviewed the allowances, we did have findings that ultimately demonstrate that less uh, money was assigned to those allowances than the total value of the allowances. Therefore, the GMP should be lowered by whatever remaining value that is. And that's largely where our audit focuses. Uh, I, I wanna make that crystal clear um, because it does make a difference in how we talk about things and we are talking about, we'll talk a lot about change orders and commitments to subcontractors. So with that, I'm gonna let Valerie um, walk us through a little more detail. Good afternoon. I'm gonna start with the audit limitations. Just to lay out really quickly that there are a couple of not to exceed general conditions I'm sorry, change orders um, that weren't reconciled as of the audit. So there are some open items that will impact the contract value that we were not able to look at at that time, just based on Clark's accounting, I believe not being complete. And when we were going through the audit and looking at the subcontract change orders, which are part of the details submitted for the port work authorizations, we did notice that there were a lot of examples where the backup was not detailed. It, and so Clark wasn't gathering to submit to the port, really detailed back, backup to show the port what they're asking for, for these change orders or work authorizations. And, and if I may, just to, yeah. to, to enhance that, that point, we did have access to both the port's records and to Clark's records. Um, Clark did uh, grant um, the port access to detailed files on their their own software system so we were able to look not just at what they submitted to the port but what they actually asked for and recorded from the sub subcontractors correct yes please go ahead thank you um, I just have a clarifying question you just you said the accounts weren't completed with the change order do you mean is that because they have some outstanding work that they're still doing or is that bless you 
or is that um, the ac accounts are not completed because uh, there's just not enough information that you guys needed? Our understanding was from Clark, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the accounting was not complete. So I don't believe they had recorded all of their costs or they didn't have it organized to submit to the port um, in order to reconcile the not to exceed change orders. Correct. This was, this was known by the port, yes. uh, by the port's construction group or facilities group, whatever the right term is, excuse me. Uh, but it was known by them and it was disclosed to us that that, that was in process. So um, not, a, not a finding per se that, that we found something that wasn't disclosed, it was fully known and, and I'm unaware of if that's been reconciled as of this date. But as the date of our audit report, it had not been reconciled, but was planned to be. Yeah, we wanted to let you know that there are limitations on some of the things that we looked at that we would have normally looked at in the course of this this type of review. And so the, did that answer your question? Okay, perfect. So the lack of support that Clark um, submitted also kind of limits what the port can see when they're looking to approve things. So that was something we did note. And just to give you an example of that is out of all of the change orders, the subcontract change orders that we sampled to review for labor rates and things, only 13% of them were supported with adequate decal. And that was both using Clark's own records and what they submitted to the port. So Jake already touched on the recorded costs uh, being higher. And so I'll skip over that. And if we could go to the next slide, that would be fantastic. So again, this will kind of go to the supporting documentation that was not complete. We did review a large sample of items to get good coverage on the subcontractor change orders specific to labor and labor burden charges uh, that were in the change orders specific to the allowance usages and the contingency. So we were looking at that specific population that Jake was discussing. And when we did review this, the five, I believe it was five or six top subcontractors with large change orders. Um, we were able to look at everything, analyze the data we had, which again was 13% of the sample, and determine that there were overcharges in the labor rates estimated to be between four and a half million and nine million dollars, 9.2. And we did do a range because our sample was really limited. Um, so we wanted to not just present the top value, but try to be realistic in our representation of, of the errors. These errors, when you're looking at the allowance population, are a lot higher than if you look at the job as a whole. But they would apply to the rest of the, the GMP. I believe the allowance subcontract population was a little under half of the total subcontracts change orders issued on the job. So a majority of those rate variances are coming from not limiting the taxes per the statutory limitations and inclusion of things that weren't supported by the subcontractor. And an example of that would be one of the rates requested $10 an hour for safety for every position on the job. And that would be for every hour worked. And, and that's from our experience that is extremely high for a safety charge. So it was going through and looking at the detail of the rates that were provided and that they were applying those rates to the job. So that's kind of the 
high level of this no, that's, that's observation. That's right. If we can go to the next slide, yes. um, there's an important important consideration here. So we, we sampled, and sampling comes with its own limitations, of course. When we talk about labor rates, the, the tricky part is that not having, not being able to break out labor rates from every change we looked at and not being able to look at the detail of every labor rate does create its own limitation. So based on experience, we're, we're smart enough to know that not every change has the same ratio of labor, not every labor rate has the same ratio of error. So we created this matrix that, that you have access to to give a sort of a high and low limit um, based on our observations and, and where our analysis uh, came to is, is about the, the yellow numbers in the middle. Uh, if we just apply our findings globally to all of the allowance subcontract changes, we're in this range, we're in this five to six million dollar worth of finding range. Our estimate is that sort of best case scenario that, that, that those ratios are a little overstated. There's still about a four and a half million dollar finding here. Um, and on the other side, uh, should the errors really propagate even more than we found in the samples that that possible finding is up to about nine point uh, what is it nine point two million so the the purpose of this matrix um, just for everybody's clarification is to demonstrate that that we do understand you cannot simply apply a straight percentage of findings to everything it's 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 not quite that easy and this is a demonstration uh, to be fair and equitable as part of the audit an objective. So good, Valerie, if you want to keep moving on. Perfect. Can we get the next slide, please? The rest of the observations that we are going to go over uh, on a high level for you to avoid all of the detail, uh, observations two through seven are really a reduction of the GMP or uh, moving the funds back to an allowance that the port would um, be able to utilize, again, reducing the GMP. So the audit did a reconciliation of allowances. Again, this is at the time of the audit, which was through August 31st. And we were showing at that point in time, the port total that would be coming back would be about 2.2, 2.3 million dollars. That is subject to change, obviously, because things can get utilized toward the end of the job. They were not 100% complete. I believe it was 90 percent something like that and so that was just a reconciliation based on the the records the cost records that we were able to trace things back and just look at things saying hey at the end of the day we expect there to be about two and a half or I'm sorry 2.2 to 2.3 million in returned allowances the allowance credits that we reviewed we we compared the work authorization records the uh, author the authorization basically by the port regardless of the form to the clerk issue numbers and subcontractor change orders and we were not able to trace allowance credits or money back to the port allowances and about five hundred and twenty one five hundred twenty two thousand dollars and to be clear there are there are many that we could trace Yes. So it's not a function of we just simply couldn't find any. It's important to understand that Clark was able to demonstrate that a great number of those credits they applied appropriately and correctly, which gave us justification that the ones we could not identify and we could not trace were true findings. 
Go ahead, Valerie. And then we actually had a Clark recorded, it was a requested reimbursement from Valley Electric for sick time that was enacted in the state at two and a half percent in 2018, and then beginning in 2019, the paid family medical leave that uh, Valley Electric stated they had not been paid or compensated for. However, the support was not adequate. It was showing support for different years and things. So we weren't able to trace that back. And it did appear to have duplicate costs because those costs were captured in the rates that we were provided by, that the port was provided as well and used by Valley Electric is our understanding. So if that's the case, that would have been a duplicate of things they were already compensated for. And then we had work authorization amounts and those are port work authorizations that did not reconcile to the Clark issues. So uh, the port tracks the port issues and Clark tracks the park and we, we married them up and there were dollar amounts that just did not reconcile. There were, again, as Jake said, several that did. So in this population, we were able to reconcile a great deal of things, but on 273,000, we weren't able to reconcile those amounts. They varied. Can I get the next slide, please? Then there was a contingency usage that we did question. Um, Clark utilized funds for what they self-titled furniture not to be reimbursed by the owner. However, the owner, the port, did provide furniture, and that was a contractually non-reimbursable charge. Since it was a contingency usage, we did uh, note that as an observation. It was $221,000 that should go to a port allowance or, or go back to the port, um, even if it's going back to Clark in their contingency fund. It just shouldn't be expended in that manner. And last but not least, we did have allowance usages that we couldn't trace to subcontract change orders. That was about $130,000. So looking at everything that we were able to identify, the potential GMP adjustment or reductions ranges because of that labor um, range from 8.3 to $12.9 million. And that is out of just the allowance um, population, allowance contingency technically. We did send these issues to Clark as well through internal audit, and they had, uh, no, actually you sent them with internal audit, and they had not responded as of today. That is correct. And then the next slide, please. Um, you? Yeah, so uh, one, of the, one of the things that we were asked to do is confirm the liquidated damage uh, value. There is a um, liquidated damage clause in the contract, and to be clear, what the liquidated damage clause is there to do is to uh, recover potential money that uh, the port lost as a result of the overage in time. I say this because it's very, very important that this is not a penalty. It is a liquidated damage. They're two very different things. Um, but in our calculation, based on what we knew about the milestones, uh, and we confirmed these dates with the, with the port and everything else we knew uh, based on the contractual values in the, um, for each type of liquidated damage. They're currently estimated at, um, I believe, at $17 million that they would have to either not charge you or give you back that, those funds. Next slide, please. Unless you, do you have a question? Okay. Next slide, please. This is just a summary. You can flip. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I 
apologize. This is just a summary kind of of where we started with the current GMP through Change Order 66 as of the date of the audit. And you can see we're walking through the items we discussed that would be GMP reductions and we applied the, in, the percentage based charges for insurances and fee and just are showing an after audit, basically um, GMP value. So we have some recommendations as well that's part of um, the slide presentation. It's on the next slide, but I do want to take a pause and, and give you an opportunity to ask questions on the specifics of these findings before we, we get into that. Any questions? Yes, go ahead. Hi. Thanks for uh, going through this. I think the one that I really want to talk about is the um, adequate support one, so kind of the first one. Sure. Um, I guess one thing, I guess this is for port staff um, that I'm concerned with is we started talking about this and noted this back in 2018 from what Spencer talked about. And here we are now with you guys doing an audit in current time. And we have the same issue where we're approving and paying out money based on change orders that don't have adequate support. Like I understand you guys are going through and looking at the support, but what I don't understand is how our staff is not doing what you guys were doing, which is looking at the support, making sure it's adequate. I mean, what you're looking at should be the same checks that we're already doing internally that should have been caught long before we ever cut a check. I mean, now we're kind of having to come back after the fact and go back and you know go through whatever mechanisms we're gonna have to go through to try and reconcile this now when we could have stopped it before we ever even paid this. So it's something we were made aware of and no improvements were made and now we've continued to pay out with payments and change orders that don't have appropriate support. That's, that's unacceptable. We should be reconciling what we're paying out to support that's included with the payment or we won't pay it out. I guess I just don't understand what, what the disconnect is there. Yes. Um, well, you know, we, um, we've got some people from port management that can uh, potentially respond to this or make a comment. Janice, do you want to take a stab or? And if, I, if I may really quick, I'm, apologies. Uh, Valerie needs to uh, exit at to be able to catch a plane. <laughs> so I'll continue to answer the no questions. Problem. And we'll <laughs> but if you don't mind, we're going to excuse her. Only if it's her. somewhere good, like Mexico or something. <laughs> I wish I was going on vacation, <laughs> but I'm not going on vacation. I was actually Shoot. on an audit and flew out to do this meeting, <laughs> and I'm flying back because I have a meeting tomorrow morning for that audit. So it's Who's nothing it? fun. Safe You're not missing anything. Can I keep this? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Safe travels. I will attempt to do justice to all her work. <laughs> Do you want to answer the question now or have port management come up? Um, I mean, I, you know, whatever's appropriate to answer. I, yeah. I'll tell you as an opinion that um, this is a very large and very complex project. And um, certainly uh, there's a lot of cases where we would have loved to have more detail. Um, we as the auditors can't know what decisions were made and why they were made moving forward. There may be some critical items that just to keep things moving um, for, for various reasons had to be made. So we're always very respectful of the effort 
that it takes to get these projects done. That does not diminish the need for diligence um, or responsibility. Uh, that responsibility, in my opinion, is largely on uh, Clark um, and, and also uh, your program manager. Um, those folks have a responsibility to provide the information. Uh, and um, and it does come down to a function of resource. They have the resources to provide the information. I'm, I don't. I can't speak to if the port has enough resources or not. I don't know that. Uh, but I, I will say that on a project of this size and complexity, it is it is very challenging to keep up with all of that data, as well as to keep the subcontractors paid in a timely manner, which is undoubtedly important. That your local businesses are paid. Uh, and their cash flow is whole. So um, I say that not as a defense of any actions, but just to shed some light on why things may happen. And, and Jake, would it be AECOM, which would be the program manager that- To my knowledge, yeah, correct. Would yeah, would be handling a lot of this, right? And then it looks like Jan is on from construction management. Is this on? There we go. Well, since uh, Dave Soike is in the Philippines, I'm gonna um, try to stand in his stead. I think that it's um, we have known for some time that this is a very complex project and we've had some challenges getting um, proper records from the contractor and um, as our external auditor says one of the things we want to make sure we do is ensure that the work continues and that subcontractors are being paid and that they're not being penalized if the uh, general contractor is um, less than um, stellar in their paperwork. So we have also elevated this project all the way to the president of the company that uh, Dave Soiki has worked with to make sure that they're well aware of the, the any challenges and deficiencies that they have related to this project. And so I know that it has been elevated to the highest level with the contractor. So some of the things that you have noted are not new to us and has actually been elevated to the highest levels. All right, thank you. Um, I, I agree with those sentiments, however, that we, I think perhaps we should look at whether or not, and I think a good point was brought up that do we have enough manpower within the port to make sure that we're keeping track of these things in a way that uh, that there's accountability. I totally understand we want co subcontractors to be paid and we don't want any holdups, but at the same time, I think in instances where invoices are not justified, I, I don't think we should be fulfilling, m making payouts, you know, without uh, confirming that they're, they're right. So uh, I, I can see both sides and I would love for us to try and revisit some of our standard operating procedures to make sure that we're covered. If, if I may, I'd like to add one of the challenges in, in, in the statement that you just made is that um, what's happening is the construction manager submits a change order and that change order modifies their contract. So when the subcontractor submits an invoice, they may or may not have that specific change order broken out. They may not have it broken out with the detail. So when we see monthly, we see their invoices, they are a lot more global um, for a bunch of work that has happened over, in theory, 30 days, which may include all, some, or none of any given change order. So marrying invoices to an exact change is extremely difficult, uh, especially if the contractor and the subcontractors don't break them out that way. And quite frankly, in the, in the industry, very few of them 
isolate a change specifically on an invoice, especially on a project like this. On a smaller project, maybe, but on a project like this, it's it's a little harder. I, I guess I would just, I mean, we still hold the cards in that we make the payment. So we can make the terms. We can tell them how we want their invoice to look and how they need to break it out. And if we're not sure and can't track into it, what we need. Or we need you to break out the change orders when you send in your pay applications for us to track back to this. I mean, I think that's a perfectly normal request. But once we send out payment, we've lost our leverage. I mean, we just have. That's the facts. And I agree, like, this is obviously a massive project. There's a lot of dollars flowing through. There's a lot of different calculations in here. But if we're going to take on and own a project like this, then we need to have proper personnel, proper resources, and proper knowledge to be able to recalculate these pay applications, to look at support for these change orders. I mean, that's part of what we're signing up for if we're going to take on a project like this. It just, we're ending up in a place where now we've already paid out and we're trying to figure out what is the dollar amount and what can we even get back i mean this is a millions of dollars that may or may not ever come back because the the pay's already you know we've already made the payment so the diligence up front is just very non-negotiable we can't not do it because you end up in a situation like this where you may or may not ever get it back so great we have these results we have all these things on this allowance account we've been able to update our the amount of our contract but it may or may not matter because we may not be able to get it back again we've already sent the payment so we've already shown we were okay and it's acceptable at some level and that's um disturbing to me especially because we were told this in 2018 that we needed to be better about it and it just doesn't seem like we actually took the action to make it better based on these numbers we're finding um, in the table number one, I just want to make sure I'm understanding uh, how this reads uh, and what's kind of happening here. Uh, let's see, does this have a number? 20, page 24, I think, of the presentation. Um, oh, this one. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. So, okay. So, the first column is the subcontract. The next column is the total change orders from that subcontractor. Uh, there are the total changes that we reviewed from the subcontractor. But I thought the next column, like the 3.7 million of the nine, is what you reviewed. Wait. We must be looking at something different. I'm looking. Is it? Yeah, I'm looking at this. this okay. Screen. So, so, like the first one, Apollo. So oh, I'm, apologies. I was looking at the total line. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry about okay, that. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah, got that's it. Fine. Got okay. it. Okay. So, I'm just trying to understand. So there was a total of 9.7 million with Apollo. 3.7 is what we reviewed? Correct, so it's, it's important to, um, to understand why we used the words we did. In Apollo's case, there's mm -hmm. 9.7 of Apollo changes assigned to an allowance or contingency use. So Apollo had more changes than that, but within the context of how we audited, these were, the, our, call it our, our available sampling, would it be 9.7 million? We were able to actually review 3.7 million um, based on just availability of data. So does that mean that you wanted to look at all of the 9.7 but could only look at 3.7 based on the documentation? Generally, yes. I mean, we, we tried to go through as many as we could to get that sample size as big as possible uh, and, and found in many cases we just didn't have the backup or enough backup 
And so we didn't, because we couldn't separate labor and we couldn't separate the values, uh, we really didn't consider them a sampled item, but they were, they were items that we wanted to look at. So we really tried to confine this to what we actually looked at, and at, rather than have no data as a negative answer. Okay, wait, so I may want to make sure I'm following this. Sure. So at the, the bottom line total here, it says we looked at 15.85%. So you're telling me that as a, out of the 48 million, you could only even gather enough documentation to even evaluate 6.4 million of it? In that level of detail, correct. Okay, so the recommendation where we talk about we need to have more level of detail, is that referencing to the gap between the 6.4 and the 48 or the 6.4? It's in the, no, the gap between the 6.4 and the 48. Now, to be clear, there is backup. There is some level of backup. There is not, in our opinion, enough backup for us to actually have done more analysis with. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying they didn't give some level of documentation, but the documentation they gave just wasn't, wasn't adequate. Right. So that immediately says to me that only 15% of these even had enough documentation we should have even considered paying. Because if, if the auditors can't even come in and have enough backup to even think about reconciling to tell if we've used the right percentages at all, then there's no way we should have been paying that. So this, that's, that, that's a really small percentage. I mean, the, we only had 15% that we could even look at to even do these calculations, which we found errors in the calculations. So, correct. So, when we look at our total, then, when you look at 8.3 to 12.9, tell me how this gap between the 6.4 and the 48 plays into that. Sure. So, what we did there is we took all of the changes in their entirety. We have a list of every single subcontract change to every single subcontractor. And what we did is we applied a ratio of our observed uh, labor to material values mm -hmm. and apply them. So the known subs, we apply the ratio we observe those to be. Um, the unknown subs, there's a great number of subs that were smaller and, and just we're not going to look at every single one of those as well. Uh, we applied the ratio based on our observation globally, so like an average ratio. And then from there, again, on the unknown, the, the changes we could not review, we didn't have enough backup, we applied our error rate to that item. Um, that's why we made that table, that okay. matrix, okay. to contemplate okay. the idea that not all errors are equal, that not all labor to material ratios are equal. And based on our known experience in the industry, we know that labor typically makes up between a range, you know, between 35 to 50% of any, any change. So we, we base our matrix off of that known range and we looked at our error rate and we said okay if we go sideways we're at x error plus or minus plus or, you know on either side now we have a matrix of the range of findings again this is to this is put in place um, mostly because when we talk to contractors and we say we have these errors they say well they, you know we can't apply it equally to everybody and we agree so we we provide this to demonstrate we're looking at this objectively. We understand it's not as easy as just a flat error percentage to everybody. So I guess obviously there's more in total potential adjustment here 
between the 6.4 and the 48 than you have listed here in total, and it's because you're assuming only that certain percentage of error. But I guess my question would be, since there wasn't enough documentation for you guys to even audit it, as far as these percentage splits and potential error splits, is there a chance we shouldn't even have paid these at all? Like, I guess, why wasn't that considered as potential savings? Like, should this even have been paid to begin with? I think that's a great question. Something to consider that as auditors, we're not privy to because we're not we're not part of the daily activities of sure. this project. So um, as we review the work authorizations and we review uh, how Clark submitted the changes, one of the things that we are aware of is that the port is looking at the work is actually being done. You know, they're, they're out there, and that's part of their diligence and their responsibility. So is the work being done or not being done? Mm -hmm. um, the volume of allowances on this project, uh, and I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound overly alarming, but is really big and is kind of abnormal. Um, so, uh, but it's the way the work was executed. You would not have, you, you could not have gotten the facility you got without executing these changes. So work was being done. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we, we didn't re-estimate every one of these changes. I can't tell you that they were all accurate or not accurate, but I can tell you that the dollar, the magnitude of dollars being spent here is probably in the right range because that's what you have in place. Mm -hmm. um, so are you off by 100 million? Most likely not. Are you off by you know the range we put in here in the millions? Yes. Um, so it's, it's a good question. There's some process questions in there that I'm certainly not the person to answer. Mm -hmm. uh, but should these changes have been approved without the backup and the detail? Um, maybe because of the timing, what it took, what was happening in the field. Again, we're not part of that execution. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, should at some point they have been reconciled with more data? Yes. Uh, and then how does that affect payment? I mean, that, that again is a process question. But I want to be clear that um, based on what we see, that I don't believe that there are tens of millions of changes for work that never happened. Okay. There's work that happened. Whether it was perfectly supported, I think, is the problem that we have in, how, in, in what we observed. And the total amount of that allowance, the like 108 million, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, that was just part of how the contract was negotiated, right? That was like basically a maximum allowance amount was put into the original contract. Is that correct? Well, <laughs> that's the tricky part. Okay. So the allowance was put into the contract and it's made up of several components. One is a contingency component, um, which is a little bit different than the other components, uh, but the bulk of it are allowances. Why I say it's different is allowances naturally have risk associated with them. They are not confined to the GMP in the same way everything else is. So if you exceed those allowances, then the GMP goes up by that excess. If you don't mm -hmm. spend the full allowances, the GMP comes down by that number. Um, the reason I point that out is the risk is that Clark really didn't have a maximum for those allowances. I mean, when you hit up against them, if they were for very real and justifiable costs, the port would have been at risk to have to pay that overage. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. Um, we still have three items to get through, and <laughs> I think technically we only have five minutes. Uh -oh. So if we can get the cliff notes on, on the last three here. Maybe sure. quickly over your recommendations. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going to cut through the chase on the recommendation. I'm going to make it really easy. Um, 
the recommendation, there are a lot of diligence of things that you can do during execution of this project. But the, but the global recommendation really is a much more proactive one that these things can be avoided, these things, the risk can be reduced um, and mitigated by being proactive before you even before you even sign the contract, before you even send out the RFP. That's the time, you know, the request for proposal or, or quotation to construction managers and architects and everybody. That's whenever the real control is. And many of these things are avoidable um, with that definition. But it the the all the real impact happens that early. You still have influence when you're negotiating the contract, but it's diminished. By the time you get to the end, you have very little influence. Glenn, we, if I'm, yeah, if please. I may, um, this contract was was um, awarded in 2015. So some of the audit reports and recommendations that we've already um, incorporated. Um, you won't have seen back in 2015 when this contract was let and it was the very first progressive design build in the state of Washington We know a lot more now than we did when we first put that contract in place what billing rates we wanted to um, Competitively compete within the procurement as well as when the GMP was negotiated several years ago so I appreciate the comments that you've made and I think what you'll hear in for example, the South Satellite, that would, part of that is a discussion about um, do we put in more resources to um, scrutinize and do some incremental audits that we didn't do here. And you'll also hear that in the North Satellite, actually that was the last audit we did, um, we actually had the auditor work with us throughout on all of the, the, the reimbursable cost for all of the subcontractors that those costs are paid from a reimbursable standpoint that didn't happen here so it was definitely some lessons learned uh, between when this contract was let and subsequent ones that we are doing things differently that you aren't seeing the results of here thanks for that historic context um moving on yes South uh, yes if there's any further discussion just thank you to jake uh ortega and to valerie Ortego and Valerie, and um, you know if there's any follow-up, we'll follow up yep. in the next audit committee meeting. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Moving on to the next audit, uh, and I'm going to move through these just very quickly and to the highlights of them. And there's one audit that we do want to talk about, and we'll spend more time on. So if you can go to the next slide to South Satellite, please. Oh, and commissioners. Um, do you mind if we run? O we'll run over about five minutes, ten minutes. Yeah, it's fine. And this. So, thirty million pro dollar project on the South Satellite. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this uh, slide, but as Janice was talking about in the next slide, if you can move forward there, we have one low risk opportunity where uh, th there's really two things: following procedures and reconciliations, um, you know, things that we can improve going forward. These are things we note that Janice and team have incorporated some in, they're resource-based, uh, but, but they need to happen to be important. Anything you want to add to this on this finding? Um, 
or we could just yeah. add that um, <clears throat> for some of the results of the South satellite audit um, this project had ended or substantial completion a couple you know a few years back and uh, we did note that um, since that time and previous audits and recommendations the management uh, has already made some corrections um, based on those previous audit recommendations and that will be reflected or Go. we're hoping that moving forward as we look at um, projects that are, are more current that we'll notice that there's been some uh, corrections already made. And, and in the interest of time, Janice, also, if, unless you want to comment, I think you noted that um, the reconciliations were, Janice Zahn had noted that were based on staffing needs. They were addressing them all going forward on this one. And I think she noted that. So well, with that, we'll Commissioner Cho, we'll, those are all my comments on the South Satellite. We can move to the next audit. Excellent. Thank you. The, the next audit is the South King County Community Impact Fund. And I think, you know, I, I want to run over, this is the last audit we're really going to touch on, but, but I think this is important, especially since Director Gaysar has come and waited so patiently for, <laughs> through this whole thing. <laughs> but, but we looked at it, you know, it, through a different lens. Um, we looked at it not only for compliance, but are we easy to do business with at the port? Are, do we have contracts in place and, and requirements that are overly burdensome on small businesses and small entities? Sure, you want to have controls, but you also don't want to put the same requirements that you put on a huge entity uh, like Clark on a small you know, grant recipient that's fixing a park up. So with that, I'll pass it on to Dan. And Okay, thanks, Glenn. So I'm, I'm just going to go straight to the, the issue and try to get through this real quickly. Um, so we, we did find it a medium-rated issue, um, and it kind of has two components to it. The first is um, that the approvals weren't always documented. Expense reimbursements were not always supported with receipts, and expenses sometimes exceeded those thresholds. Um, the, regarding the approvals, this, I believe, is more of a documentation issue rather than uh, invoices um, that shouldn't have been paid. Um, and the reason I say that is I reviewed 100% of the transactions during this 18-month period, and there's nothing in there that I believe should not have been paid, right? Everything was fine. Although we did go over um, what was allowed by contract by small dollar amounts. Um, what that through our discussions, what that led to is, as Glenn mentioned, you know, there is an efficiency opportunity, um, and that kind of evolved from our discussions. Um, there, the, in my view, and I think others as well, there's an opportunity to broaden the contract language. Um, I kind of think of, you know, we don't want to be captives of compliance, right, where we're focusing more on the rules and, and less on judgment. Um, there's and so I'll give you uh, an example. The, the contracts have um, an, an attachment that says, lists out what is a reimbursable expense. And it's very granular, um, you know, 20 gloves at a dollar a piece, right? And I know this sounds small dollars because it is, especially after the IAF discussion. Uh, you know, two loppers at $40.25. 
But seriously, that's what the contract is, and we kind of laugh about it. But the ramifications of that is there's a, there's a lot of burden that's put on our constituents, right? Um, I want to be clear: this the, the CPO is not writing these contracts incorrectly, right? There needs to be deliverables in the contract that we then pay on. Um, but I do think that there's an opportunity that we can broaden that language. Um, uh, Guadalupe Torres is in the office in, in, in here. Uh, she mentioned um, that that you know these are grassroots organizations, and a lot of them have limited resources, right? And so we have to be mindful of that. Um, there was a term used, right sizing, which I think is a good way to describe it. A, a contract for twenty thousand dollars, which some of these are, some of the environmental contracts are less than twenty thousand dollars, should be different than a contract. Um, that's like, you know, 10 million, 20 million, and more, right? Um, so those are my, my general comments. Uh, I know uh, we have <laughs> Bukta and, and Guadalupe here. Uh, oh, and, and Andy as well. Um, and I'm here to answer any questions you may have. But I will say that the, the program, I was, it was a great audit to partner with these guys, and they're a passionate group of people that I think are doing a great job on on you know these initiatives any questions for uh, from our committee members Bukta, if you want to say anything as well with regards to how the program went yeah good afternoon commissioners um, uh, is your mic on is your mic on I think oh. so is it? Oh, there you go yeah <laughs> I think you know that this is the fifth year of South King County Fund, originally with the vision of Commissioner Steinbrook for $10 million for five years to support community organizations. But then after COVID, we decided to divide the program into two branches, environmental grants to support public spaces, improvement to public spaces, and economic recovery. <clears throat> and I really appreciate the work of our auditing office because as we are funding organizations, we're seeing a lot of barriers in our process, in our systems, because exactly as you said, a contract of 10 million with a con construction company and $100,000 for a nonprofit takes about the same amount of time and the same complexity. And so it takes us an average of 10 months to be able to actually execute a contract with a nonprofit. Um, we have learned a lot about how to improve our own systems and uh, Guadalupe Torres joined our team about eight months ago and we're now you know, making sure that the invoices, the system, the reports are all really done well, but we really look forward to using the findings of the audit and working with you to simplify our processes. I wonder if, and I know Pierce is actually online, so I don't know, Pierce, if you want to add any comments or A&D and Guadalupe. We'll let Pierce go. Sure, I can do that. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, apologies for not being there in person. I'm tag teaming another call at this moment. But uh, I'm seconding what uh, Bukta said um, relating to uh, the work that Dan and his team and, and Glenn uh, uh, did with his audit, uh, pointing out uh, some areas where we could have um, stronger managerial controls, which we have put in place. But uh, I think equally important is this contract um, uh, simplification uh, with that, the, uh, keeping in place the uh, 
the guidelines, as Dan noted, uh, that need to be in place that can uh, expedite these uh, treaty negotiations, I mean, uh, contract negotiations, um, as well as making the uh, burden um, on our nonprofit partners in the community um, uh, uh, less, of, uh, less, of a, less of a burden. I should say on our uh, nonprofit, uh, and we look for nonprofit partners. Look forward to working with CPO as well as uh, Dan and Glenn on steps we can take to do that. Um, Andy, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I think uh, I agree with everything that's been said so far, and appreciate uh, both Glenn and Dan and and the <clears throat> work that you did to help us to think about process improvements and and for coming out to see some of the some of the sites too. I think it's really nice to see uh, this work in 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 process. Um, I would just note, in addition to the community burden of the complexity of these contracts, is the internal staff uh, costs and and administrative burdens. I think that's something that should should also be reflected in this is just how much time it takes to both pull the contracts together and then manage them both at the project management level as well as um, I just want to recognize Kelly Schimmelfenning and the amazing work that she's done administratively to make sure that these uh, were all tracked and paid. Uh, it's a tremendous burden on staff, you know, just because of the level of of detail that we're working with and recognizing that this is a relatively new program I think this is a great opportunity to think about how to simplify and streamline the process going forward so that we can make it work best for everyone I would just add a big shout out to Kelly and also that um, we are working with CPO and they have a good team it's the processes that is the problem is the issue and the challenge but uh, we're hopeful, we're hopeful, we're all wanting the same thing. And so to keep driving that change is where we need to be. Thank you. And I'll, I'll, I agree with what you're saying. I also want to thank Kelly as well, because she was uh, responsible, or took on the responsibility of getting me 100% of the documentation, which I know is a big burden. So thank you. Um, and I will also work with uh, you and CPO and others um, to help, you know, improve the contracts. Great. Excellent. Let me just say that um, I appreciate the terrific work that you're doing in this program specifically. Um, you know, I know how challenging it is uh, to administer this program given the mechanism we're using and the restraints, constraints that we have as a public entity that can't give away money. Um, and so what normally or what normally one would think are just grants that we give to community-based organizations, we've had to become very creative in how we administer this. And uh, I understand that adds complication. Um, I think you spoke to the, the processes that we had to go through. But I think you've all done a tremendous job of working with that, working through all those complications. And uh, you know, despite some of the, the complications that we've had from those who might want to who have bid on our RFPs. Uh, I'm just glad that we were able to implement it, execute it, and get the money out the door to the community. So I look forward to seeing how we can simplify things. I think you made a great point that a $20,000 contract is not the same as a $10 million contract. And so um, and given the constraints that these community-based organizations have and their resources to respond to our RFPs, I'm looking forward to seeing how we're going to be improving this process so that it's easier for those smaller community-based organizations to tap into this resource. So thank you very much. Any other comments or questions from the committee? Commissioner Mohammed? Thank you. I mean, I have a lot of 
comments and, and questions I'd like to ask, but for the sake of time, I'll, I'll leave them for next time. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for the work that you guys do on behalf of community. And I've, I've heard from folks how challenging it is our community-based organizations to, to be able to contract with the port. And what I'm looking forward to the most is how we're going to work with CPO on changing what sort of training will be provided um, that we, you know, call our community-based organizations, you know, community members that we contract with and not look at them as businesses. And then I just, the presentation that happened before, can you imagine if all that overspent actually went into the community? <laughs> we had the right controls in place. <laughs> just a thought, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Great. All right, Glenn, uh, we're going on to Federal Grant Administration. Commissioner, in the interest of time, um, We've talked about Federal Grant Administration. This is a clean audit. You know, we um, received, um, gosh, a hundred plus million dollars in federal grants in the last year. As you see here, 100 million was COVID related, 135 million in total. So a lot of money coming in. Uh, we're just providing assurance to the, to the committee that uh, the controls were operating effectively. You know, Great. it's clean audit reports. All right, yeah, they, they can't have the money back. back. To you. Close. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. So, if there are no other questions on this item, we'll go ahead and move on to the next section of our agenda. Item number 12 and 13 before us are information technology audit reports regarding security incident response management for ICT and aviation maintenance and audit log management, respectively. These items are security sensitive and will be discussed in non public session. We have no limited contract compliance audits on our agenda today, so at this time we'll move to closing comments. Mr. Fernandez, do you have any clo closing comments for us today? I do not, thank you. Excellent, are there any from the committee? I'll just Mr. say, Muhammad. thank you. I'll just say quickly, thank you so much to the whole audit team and the hard work that you all do. Um, this is one of my favorite committees. <laughs> you don't hear that every day. <laughs> All right, there no further, it's one of my favorite committees too, by the way, for the, rec for the record. Um, hearing no further comments, we'll now recess into the non-public portion of our meeting uh, at 4.43 p.m. To, to discuss two matters related to security sensitive information. The non-public portion of the meeting will last approximately 30 minutes and the meeting will adjourn with no further business after that time. Participants joining the non-public portion of the meeting via Microsoft Teams, please close out of the meeting link and join the 4.30 p.m. Teams meeting invitation. For everyone joining in the physical meeting room, please proceed to the third floor conference room 3CC3. The current time is 4.44 p.m. Thank you. All right. <laughs>